Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Carol Tuttle Better Parenting Show. For the next hour, be prepared to be blown away as Carol shares some amazing tips and how-tos that are guaranteed to revolutionize your parenting experience. Each week, Carol brings her innovative, hands-on approach to parenting using the unique model of energy profiling, her vast knowledge of natural healing methods, and her passion and drive to help you become the best parent you can be. Carol's hope is that you will be able to say, I am a better parent thanks to Carol Tuttle and what she teaches. Carol is the mother of five grown children who all turned out to be pretty amazing people and are now becoming parents of their own, giving Carol the chance to become an even better grandparent. Welcome to today's show. Carol Tuttle, and welcome to the Better Parenting Show. I'm grateful to be back after a couple weeks off. Thank you for those that have been listening to the recorded shows. I'm really excited. There's been some real um, strong activity on the last show I did, How to Clear Your Child's Birth Energy. We've had the most listens of any topic that I've ever done, with over 4,500 people having listened to that in just a three-week period. So that's really exciting to me that you're interested in the energy healing methods and understanding how life experiences can create a residue of energetics to stimulate ongoing patterns in our life and as we consciously are able to step in and release those energetic systems and um, release the patterns, they shift our experience in our current life. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to How to Clear Your Child's Birth Energy, it was recorded on July 31st. I invite you to take a listen at that and learn from that. I just did two new blog videos at the Carol blog for the carolblog.com. And my daughter recently had a baby three months ago and it was an emergency C-section and we've been noticing some residual patterns that her daughter Katie is being active in, not consciously to her, she's only three months old, but the energy kind of runs itself. So I we filmed two different videos. One was a clearing for Katie with the core issue of I'm going to die if I don't get my needs met, which was a scenario within the birth, and I'll let you look forward to those videos posting sometime in September. I post my mini healing sessions on Mondays at the Carol blog, and then I did another video just with Anne clearing her residual energetics from not having the birth she had planned on and hoped for. And so it was really really cool to assist both of them and that will be more content that you can look forward to that delves deeper into this this experience of birth energy. I also recommend my uh, book Remembering Wholeness as another component and resource to learn more about birth energy and its effects. So uh, a couple announcements before I talk about today's topic. We have an anniversary sale that's only going on through today. I think it ends today at DressingYourTruth.com. Everything is 20 to 75% off at the online store. And the uh, Dressing Your Truth online course is on sale right now for $99. So that's a great, great discount. And I hope you'll invest in that for yourself. And we also have a fabulous campaign that we're running through the end of September. I'm often asked the question, Carol, when are you going to create Dressing Your Truth for Men? And we haven't, uh, the only guideline and kind of criteria that we've had for ourselves as a company was how many women we felt we needed in our Dressing Your Truth community to really stabilize that side of our business and know that it's really has a strong foundation that we can start to diversify in creating other online classrooms. And Dressing Your Truth for Men would be the top of our list. The 
opportunity is presenting itself that we started a campaign on August 1st called Spread the Love and invited our community to help spread Dressing Your Truth with their friends, loved ones, family, business associates, co-workers, people in your lives. And as you spread Dressing Your Truth, we made a commitment with our community that if we can reach 10,000 by the end of September, 10,000 women in our community, we will produce the Dressing Your Truth Men course, the early part of 2013. And right now we're just under, we're probably about 8,000 women. We need about 2,000 more women to reach that goal. And on top of that, we created many reward levels for sharing. If you share with one person, there's some fun rewards. If you share with three people, there's like a $500 gift package that we're sharing with you so that you can have that. Our, it's our way of saying thank you, our way of making sharing, dressing your truth fun and rewarding for you. And we appreciate and acknowledge that our company continues to grow because of our wonderful support of customers and those that have benefited from our information, and we really, really appreciate you. And that's, the campaign was designed around that in mind. So go to DressingYourTruth.com. You'll find the campaign there. And if you're in our email list, you'll be, you'll, you are getting emails about it. And that goes through the end of September. So today's topic is how to parent the picky eater. And I want to talk a little bit about what the traditional view of a picky eater is outside of the scope of energy profiling. So if we kind of put energy profiling aside, let's just pretend for a moment you don't know anything about energy profiling and you're dealing with a child that then gets classified as a picky eater. What does that look like? That could look like not um, a, a picky eater, we could say, is a child that likes has a very small list of items that they'll even eat and then they might not even stay congruent congruent with that. The picky eater could look like just not wanting to sit down at the table and sit still long enough to eat, that they won't get focused long enough to eat, and it's always a challenge to get them to eat at the times that are designated maybe in the family system. A picky eater could be someone that's just not willing to eat a variety of food and you're concerned about their nutritional support. A picky eater could be just the 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 battle that goes on with the wills between parent and child and it's now being created around food where it's really even not about food and it's not about eating but that's just the the medium in which it's being acted out and there's a whole dynamic going on there that has nothing to do with their appetite or their interest in food. It's just, it's formed around this experience of eating. And I could say that could be true for a lot of things, whether it's eating, chores, um, activities within the family, that it's not even about the event itself. It's just, there's a power struggle playing out with this that's um that event is just the medium for that power struggle to be played out. And so a picky eater, what happens when we label our children that and then we now have a problem, we've created a perception that that's who my child is, we actually perpetuate it to be ongoing because now that's how we view them. And so we kind of lock it in. Now, I'm not, you know, granted, it could have developed, but then your perception is overlaid on it, and now it's perpetuated because the perception you have keeps perpetuating the problem over and over and over. Now, if changing your perception, maybe it's not the only thing that will shift this there's things to learn, there's things to understand, because maybe it's not even a problem. Maybe you, maybe your child's being true to themselves and you're trying to direct them contrary to their nature. You're trying to influence them contrary to their nature. And in this case, there's 
certain types that are going to have certain tendencies when it comes to eating. Each of the four types will have particularly ten- particular tendencies with food because we have tendencies with everything in our life based on our nature. So the first step is to change your perception and to stop labeling your child a picky eater and to stop talking about them with other people. The more you talk about your problem, the more you keep what you don't want going. When you focus on what you don't want, you create more of what you don't want. Whatever you focus on, you flow energy to and create more of the same. So that's the number one step. If you want to learn more about how that all works, read my book, Remembering Wholeness, which you can find at caroltuttle.com. And so your first first to do, if you want to shift this, is stop talking about it in, in a manner that's creating what you don't want and remove that label from your child. Because being picky isn't necessarily a word of honor and validation in our culture. It suggests it's a negative. That's a bad thing. Oh, you're so picky. So we came up with a word that we like. Recently we came up with this word when we were teaching something somewhere. I don't even remember. But the word particular presented itself. And I went, that's a good word. That's a that's a more honoring word. That we can... That there are children that are particular about what they eat. And I'm going to start with type 4s because they're going to be the ones that are the most particular. And if, you st- if you've read my book, It's Just My Nature, you would have read about the type 4's tendency to be repetitive with food. This is true for a lot of adult type 4 adults that they will eat the same thing for breakfast or the same thing for lunch or they have the same very small or narrow list of foods that they enjoy that they go to time and time and time again. Now, in the world of children, we have a belief that children need a large variety of food in order to be able to get get the nutrition and nourishment they need to grow properly they need a broad spectrum in their diet. Well, this isn't going to match with a type 4 child. They're going to have the tendency from the very origins of their life to have a more particular palate. So they're the particular palate more than any of the four types. And they will want the same food consistently. I was recently visiting my daughter and my grandson, who's a type 4, you've heard me talk about him, Seth, he's five years old. We went when Jenny had her baby at the um, end of May, first part of June. So Grandma and Grandpa had babysitting duty. We had volunteered to take care of the two little boys while Jenny was in the hospital. And Dad was on and off work. And Seth, we actually would go to the hospital most you know each day she was there four days she'd had a cesarean section and there were three of the days that we had lunch in the cafeteria so by the third day that my grandson when i you know asked him what he wanted for lunch on his third day of getting the same thing a grilled cheese sandwich and an apple i realized i needed to put this in my upcoming parenting book i went oh i forgot to talk about children's tent the type four tendencies for being particular with their food. So I I email my editor, we've got to write the we've got to put this in, you know, it's really important because these are the kids that are gonna have the most misunderstanding by their parents and these are the kids that are going to be forced to try and eat a variety of food and then they're gonna be disciplined if they aren't willing to. And so I'm not suggesting that children don't need a variety of foods for nutri- nutritional support. And there's other ways to provide that nutritional support other than food, like a good multivitamin. I'm a big fan of green smoothies. I personally pack most of my nutrition in my green smoothie in the morning. 
so that I'm not concerned. And I take supplements so I don't have to be so focused on my diet being so, um, although I have a really good diet, I have really clean food, and yet I don't have to worry about getting in variety because I'm sustaining myself with the supplements and the green smoothie. Now, you might say your child might not eat a green smoothie, but they might drink a smoothie. And you can get green powder. I use an Athletic Greens. There's Mega Greens. I put a tablespoon of that in my smoothie, and it's a done deal. I have so much nutrition in my Athletic Greens. Those are two products I'm aware of, Mega Greens and Athletic Greens. They are jam-packed with nutritional value. And that's a whole lot simpler to deal with than trying to create a variety of foods, especially for a type 4, because their tendency will be to keep it simple and keep it repetitive. Seth's dad, my uh, son-in-law, has the same, if he packs his lunch, he has the same lunch every day. He's had the same lunch for about 25 years which is a turkey sandwich. I write about this, and it's just my nature. Uh, it's usually a turkey sandwich, some chips, a piece of fruit. It's very simple. And they'll get also on their latest trend. Like they'll want to eat the same thing over and over and over, and then they might switch to something else. And they're suddenly done with that, and they'll choose another food and want to eat it over and over and over. So... I wouldn't worry so much about them type 4 children having a variety, but make sure you just complement their diet with supplements or ways to... You can put, like, let's say your child will eat spaghetti sauce. You can put in zucchini and all these ground-up veggies. You can pulverize all these veggies, spinach. You can, If you have a Vitamix or a Blendtec, you can get all these veggies really ground up, throw them in a spaghetti sauce, and you're going to have a highly nutritious sauce. So there's a lot of ways to put more nutrition in some common foods by being clever. And I know there's bloggers out there. You could probably find a mommy blogger that blogs about how to put more nutrition and a children's diet without, you know, in disguising it in a way, without them knowing it. I I know I've read things like that because I'm a big foodie. I love, I'm familiar with a lot of the food bloggers, and I know there's got to be stuff. You've got to Google and search around, and that stuff will come up, and you're going to find resources to be more creative. So it doesn't add a lot more time. You can even take grind up, the most nutri- greens are the best, a lot of greens. You can pulverize, green, grind them up, and you can freeze them in little Dixie cups. And so when you're making sauces, you can just dump them in. And voila, there you go. So that's just a idea. There's many more you could play with in that. Uh, so have some fun with that and and share that in our community at Live Your Truth, what you're doing, and share it on our my Facebook page. I'd love to hear more of your ideas and jump on today's show when I open up the calls and give me some of your ideas about this. Now, type 3s, their eating tendencies are going to be they're going to want more substance. Like my type 3 grandson, he'll want more of the milk, the meat, foods with substance. I had a strong impression that my little granddaughter, who's a type 3, she's three months old, that she would actually do very well eating some rice cereal a little ahead of what the standard protocols are for infants being introduced to solids. And I mentioned this to Anne, and she's a little um, resistant because she's very, she studies things out, she gets a lot of details about, she's very food-oriented, very clean diet, and I said, Katie, this is how I said it. Katie came to me. She told me she would like some rice cereal. She needs some more substance in her diet. And Anne was a little res- resistant. And then she talked to another friend of mine who's highly intuitive. And she said, Lisa, what do you think about, does Katie need some rice cereal? And Lisa looks at her and goes, yes, 
not every day, maybe two, three times a week. And I look at Anne and I just said, I told you. So she's introduced that to her diet. And again, she, I said, Anne, listen to, this is my whole campaign, my whole kind of positioning of why I'm calling my book The Child Whisperer. Because I want to teach you how to be a child whisperer so that you intuitively are able to make decisions on behalf of your child based on their true nature. And I said, Anne, listen to your intuition not all the experts. You're the expert for your child based on your child whispering skills and your intuitive understanding of her nature. And she has started to give her some rice cereal, and that's been really a positive outcome for her. So type 3s need more substance, more protein, more probably meat-based protein. They need... I'm not a big advocate. I like raw milk. I'm, I think there's some things to consider with your classic homogenized pasteurized milk, but, you know, I, if it feels like it's working, again, don't let me tell you what to do. I'm just giving you suggestions and guidelines. You know for yourself. You're the parent. We like almond milk and coconut milk. We use a lot of that. Um, it. You might be wondering what the homogenization, it actually can create inflammation in the system. And there's, children can be prone to, um, type 2s could be prone to allergic reactions to some foods like dairy and wheat and such. So, again, the substance is really strong for type 3s. So if they're not wanting to eat the vegetables and the foods that they don't consider to have as much substance. You can complement their diets with supplements or you can, again, hide those foods and other things. Or, you know, and you can teach your children to say that you get, we want to, you want to teach your children to eat vegetables and eat raw vegetables are really good. So you just have to find which ones have the most nutritional value, and then greens are the best. And I don't know how successful you can be in helping children eat a lot of leafy greens that are raw. That's why I like putting them in things. I don't even like eating that. I like I enjoy a salad, but maybe not every day, but so my green smoothies become my go-to to get my greens. And greensmoothiegirl.com, she's got a lot of suggestions on how to get greens into, you know, how to get a child to start liking green smoothies. And then she even has a book written for children. It's a children's book that she wrote to teach children about eating healthy. So go to greensmoothiegirl.com. Robin Openshaw, um, she's a friend of mine. She's also based in Utah. She's a type 3 mom. She's got awesome resources, and she's really oriented to um, educating parents about feeding their children as well as adults. And so the type 2 child is going to be the more sensitive child. They're going to be prone to sensitivities. I experienced this with my oldest son, Chris. I introduced solid foods too soon into his diet. I actually had a series of events occur when I was nursing him at six weeks old. I had all the effects of what felt like a breast infection I was medicated for that and put on antibiotics, which contaminated my milk for him. He could not tolerate the antibiotics in my breast milk, and he started to reject my breast milk and projectile vomit at six weeks old. Now, this in hindsight, I've pieced this all together. I never had a breast infection. I've learned since that caffeine can actually create side effects in a nursing mom that feel like a breast infection, and I feel that's what was what I was dealing with, and I didn't need, I needed to stay off caffeine and not go on the antibiotic. But all said and done, um, it was too late. I had to stop nursing him, and I had to put him on, I put him on formulas which he did not, he did not do well on your your traditional formulas. So then I put him on goat's milk. And he was able to sustain himself on that for a few months. Then he re- he rejected that. The projectile vomiting is what 
it would turn into. And I then put him on progestamil, which is a formula that's that's produced for children with allergens. It's like pre-digested. It's very expensive. It's like $20 a can. And he was on that for several months. And then he started to, when I introduced solid foods into his diet at about nine months old, he started to uh, get ear infections. And then I went to the pediatrician. They treated those with antibiotics. Well, as soon as he'd get off the antibiotics, he'd get another ear infection within, you know, it became a few weeks to then days. After about the third or fourth, it's probably the fourth round of now ending up in the pediatrician's office, I'm now reading and studying about my, you know, how uh, this could be an allergy and he could be allergic to the foods that I'm giving him. And I'm learning on my own. And I didn't know I was a type 3 at the time, that I was very true to my nature when I was at the doctor's office and I started to present my findings and that this, this, these could be allergies. And I wanted to look at it from that perspective and he had nothing, he wouldn't have anything to do with it. He just thought I was, you know, you know, I'm the doctor, you don't know what you're talking about. And I took my child, picked him up. I said, I'm going to go find someone that's going to help me, um, help him get well. I won't be coming back. And I left the guy's office. I just said, had it. It was like, I'm done here. And I was able to find a medical doctor that had a, at the time, I'm talking, this is around 1988. It wasn't very common to find naturopaths and um, DO, you know, doctors of osteopathy and doctors that are more trained in a natural approach to medicine, I found an MD that had on his own pursued that path and became versed in treating on a more holistic model. And he put Chris on a very strict diet. We took him off of wheat, dairy, soy, citrus, um, there were six things that we had to remove. And I entered the world of brown rice flour. And brown. And there wasn't a lot of foods available at the time. Now that's an easy shift to get into a diet that's allergen-free, they would call it. There's a lot of bloggers that have great recipes that are allergen-free, dairy-free, wheat-free, gluten-free. Soy's not a hard one to stay off unless you're doing... Oh, and corn. Corn, it was the big one. See, high high fructose corn syrup is in so many of prepared foods. And I think everybody should stay off that stuff. But the uh, he also treated him with high doses of probiotics that were the probiotics from a mother's breast milk. And he also treated him with water-soluble vitamin E. And our goal was to repair his eardrums and to um, remedy his body's depleted state. And within a few months, Chris was a healthy camper. And the irony of this is at one year old, Chris weighed 28 pounds. So by weight, he looked like a healthy kid. His internal system, though, because his type 2 nature and his ultra sensitivities taught me, and if I had known this about him, being the sensitive child, I would have done it very differently. But when Anne came along, I was much more cautious. Again, I didn't know she was the same type as her brother, but having just gone the rounds with Chris, and actually they're only they're only 13 months apart in age, so Anne came was born while I was actually in the in the process of cleaning up Chris's diet and turning things around with the help of this doctor. And so with your type 2 children, notice things that they may be sensitive to. And the most common food sensitivities are with gluten, wheat, dairy, and corn because there's such high levels of these things in a child's diet and they can be very challenging to digest and how early did you introduce them into their diet i didn't know this show was going to turn into so much content but i've learned a lot through the years about diet nutrition i'm 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 obviously very fairly well versed in it i'm very proactive with my diet and my body and i've taught my children to be the same and so i'm grateful i can share this information with you today then our type one child they're going to have a tendency for 
again, wanting things to be fun. So if eating is a chore, if it's become too serious, if it's become burdensome, now they may have some of the other three dynamics going on, but primarily for their nature is, is it become a hassle? Is it become this power struggle? Are they having fun in those times of eating and with food? And they need to occasionally feel like they're getting something fun with food. My type 1 son is also a type 1 diabetic. Mario has type 1 diabetes. He's learning a lot about his body. He's learning a lot about taking care of it. He'll be 25 in November, and he's the most committed I've ever seen him. He does give himself the, um, when he's on vacation or kind of maybe on the weekends, he lets himself drink Diet Coke. And, you know, I said, this is your, like, one fun food. He goes, you know, with all the things I have to do with my food and all my insulin shots, and, and, you know, I supported him in that. I just said, you know, I'm glad. Hey, it's good. You know, you you have so many things you have to manage when it comes to food in your body. You know, your Diet Coke is like your one, your your treat. It's his treat. And he really is, it makes what he's dealing with less of a burden, and it adds an element of fun for him. So what is it in your type 1, what could you, what could you support them in having as a treat Say you know they want to they want to be rewarded with a treat here and there. We kind of all like that, but type ones are really oriented to that, to just have a treat somewhere, and maybe the whole family gets to have a treat because you have a type one in your family, and everyone gets the benefit from the treat reward or having the treat. You know maybe there's one treat a day. Maybe it's even a fruit popsicle. Maybe it doesn't have to be a high sugary food. Maybe it's okay if it's a, a piece of candy. You know, so look at that. How is it fun or is it become a burden? And how can you make it more fun? I know letting your type 1 child help prepare the food, be creative with the food, that makes it more fun. They get their hands on it. They get involved in it. They get to share their ideas. You know, there's a lot of cookbooks, a lot of blogs teaching children to cook. You know, a lot of assisting, you know, simple recipes that children can start to do on their own. How could you create more fun in your type 1 child's experience with food, supporting them and making it more fun? So those are some great ideas. I'm going to open up the show now for any live callers. You can call me at 347-677-1963. Press the number 1 twice on your phone. If you've got a story about today's topic, I'd love to hear about it. If you have a question about today's topic, please call in. If you have a success with today's topic, please share it. Any other questions? I'm open to any other questions. It doesn't have to be about today's topic. So I will take live callers up until 10 minutes before the hour. I've got my first caller. It's 714. Hi, you're live on the show. Hi, um, my name's Wendy Jamison, and uh, I'm actually calling about my my type 4-2 son. Um, we have trouble sleeping at night. <laughs> How old and, is he? Uh, he is almost 2. Okay, what and, type are um, you? I'm a 3-4. Three, three, okay. And um, I we're having trouble because he, at one point he was going to sleep by himself and he loved it and, you know, he was regular at it and then he started teasing again and he just doesn't want to sleep by himself. He likes to be snuggled and loved and um, and I'm expecting our third child in a month and a half and <laughs> we co-sleep with the new baby and we need him out of the bed. <laughs> So. Okay. So, do you actually let your? Do you have a? Um, is it your practice to let your baby sleep with you in your bed the first several months of their life? Yeah, usually. Um, my first daughter, she slept with us for about a year, and well, that, then that's she was you're out. training them to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you're trying to tell you know. You, you're coming up against what you've trained them is correct. Yes. 
<laughs> I'm curious why you do that. Um, just because it's easier for me, I breastfeed as long as I can, um, and so I don't have I don't want to have to get up at night. I guess <laughs> it probably sounds really lazy, but <laughs> um, and I just like that they know that we're there for them and. They have us whenever yeah, they maybe want. Maybe you're there for, you're training them to be overly dependent on you in a way. There's a space in which okay. I could see that happening for maybe a couple months. Mm-hmm. But there's a, in the, their development, they're needing to create their sense of autonomy from you so that they know okay. that they're their own person in the world and you're there to support them. So okay. you're creating your predicament. Yes, I understand that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> As you're training yeah, yeah. them to need to be with you if there's stress. Okay. Because for a year, if you if they spent that much time sleeping with you and they have and they're feeling discomfort, their natural response will be, "I should be in your bed to relieve yeah. this discomfort." I don't know how to deal with this in my own space. I have to be in your space. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You've trained them to do that. And now yeah. you're trying to get, you know, and it's almost an extreme opposite now to say, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that anymore. Now you're supposed to be in your own bed. And it's kind of like, what? You know, wait a minute. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you taught me I should be in your bed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And being a four, he's very stubborn. I mean, he really doesn't want to be in his bed. Well, he's going to, again, you've trained him to have a certain structure. Mm-hmm. You've given him that structure. Okay. See, you 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 have, his natural tendency is I need structure. Oh, this is the structure. I sleep in my parents' bed. Got it. See, that's okay. going to be... That's what's kind of like the idea that you're presenting him with. He's not, He already has that orientation, that natural design for structure. You're mm-hmm. then kind of programming, here's what that structure looks like. Okay. It looks like you sleeping in our bed because we've done it so consistently. And now you're throwing him because it's like, okay, now, so... All said and done, I'm just suggesting with the next baby, you might want to do it a little different, and that might okay. require more of you. <laughs> yeah. I it's going to require that. more of you. It's going to require you getting up out of bed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At some point. Because what, you know, again, you have to look in the bigger scheme of things. Is this in the is this the in the highest good of my child in the long term, you know? And in this case now, you're now coming up against, now I have to, address and reorient his structure and give him a new structure to operate by and he's not being agreeable to it easily. So it's going to take some time. And it may take you, what I think you need to do, is just lay down with him in his bed. You've got to train him to be in his bed and then wean him off of you being there. But I wouldn't keep putting him in your bed because that keeps putting him right back in the situation. And if you just get frustrated and you say, oh, fine, get in our bed because, you know, I don't want to deal with this. But the goal is him sleeping in his bed in his own space, stick with it. You need to then, you know, probably lay down with him, be in his bed, and then... I mean, unfortunately, you're going to have to do some things that are kind of uncomfortable for you Mm -hmm. because you've set it up that now you have this predicament. Okay. And you have to correct it. But if you keep putting him in your bed, he's not going to learn what you want to learn because you keep reinforcing this is the structure that supports you. Okay. You've got to keep him in his bed. You know, you you might need, he might get up two times a night and you're going to have to keep going in and laying down with him. Okay. But eventually he'll get it and say, this is my new, I need to sleep in my own bed. This is the routine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but you've taught him the other routine. And he's now going, what do you mean? (laughs) What are you doing? 
You guys uh, are the ones that, you know, taught me this. What's going on now? Yeah. So don't yeah. discipline. See, that's the thing. If you discipline him for this, you're disciplining him for something you trained him to do. Okay. And that's what gets real, real crazy for a kid because they're like, I don't know what's going on. You know, I just I'm they're doing really what you confused. taught me to do. Okay. So hope that helps. All right. That that Thanks. was awesome. Thank you. Hi, you're on the air, 801, area code. You're on the show with me. Is that me? Yep. What's your name? Oh, awesome. Sarah. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Um, I, I actually have something in response to the previous caller that she just said, because I've been going through the same issues with my type 4 daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a lot of what you said. <clears throat> I had to decide that. We weren't going to do this anymore because from the time she was little, I was nursing her and she was in our own bed. And it just got old after a while because after, you what, know. What type turned, are you? I'm a type 2 with a secondary Yeah, form. now I, I can see it. I'm, I'm a type 3 and that would have never happened in my world because it's like, you know what, I need my bed. I, you're not in my bed. I soon realized that after no, a while. I think a common type 3 tendency. I can see a type 2 or a type 1 doing it. I can totally see type, that. You know, that type one, because I don't feel like getting up, type two is, oh, I want to make sure they're, you know, that whole connection thing. Exactly. Well, I, I it makes me feel bad when they cry and they, you know, and it's yeah, an easy yeah. way to comfort them. But it's not really great in the long run because it creates no. a lot of problems. And yeah. that's kind of what I encountered because we were expecting our third child as well a few months ago. And um, I noticed that, you know, I wasn't sleeping very well with her in our bed, and then we just had to do something about it. So I finally, what I did is I kind of, we had a big bed built in our bedroom. We had, like, uh, our queen-size bed scooted up next to a twin-size bed so that she had her space. So I finally, I dropped the box springs under that to make it lower, and then I transitioned her into her own bed by laying with her in her bedroom. Yeah. And it it made a big difference. It took... I would say say the whole process probably took six to nine months, but after that time, it actually worked. You've got something you're dealing with now that's not going to be (laughs) enjoyable for a period of time, but you set yourself up, but you didn't Mm -hmm. know it, but now you do. It's like, but so you transition by creating these sort of shifts. Yep, we just kind of slightly did it, and it was hard. It was hard on me because I hated seeing her kind of upset, you know, from you right. know, she likes to play with my hair when she goes to sleep. So she would be laying on the floor pretty much and I'd be laying up above and she'd be playing with my hair. And eventually I just thought, Okay, we can't we can't even do this anymore so I kept the mattress on the floor in our bedroom in case she came in in the middle of the night. But I um I would lay with her in her bed to start with. She'd usually come to our bed in the middle of the night and lay on the right. floor and then I would right. after a while I started bringing her back to her bed. And right. I would turn on the music, you know, give her all her comfort things. And, you know, after a while, I didn't even have to lay down with her anymore. She just kind of okay. got, oh, hey, you know, this is okay. You know, I like it yeah, here. You can see how a type for child, how you train her to, to mm-hmm. then have that be her structure now. Exactly. I've noticed that a right. lot with her. Like if I want to get something done, you know, different dynamics with, our relationship, I kind of have to just gradually implement it and just say, okay, this is what we're doing. I know it's hard, but we're just going to mm-hmm. keep trying it and keep doing it until you feel comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's worked now. It's actually pretty amazing that she sleeps all through the night in her own bed. Other than this last week, she's been sick and been up a little bit more. How old but is she now? She, is, she just turned three about two weeks okay, ago. Okay, so similar, it's all a very similar situation. Mhm. It is. That's what I really resonated with it when she was saying that. I thought, yeah. Yeah. I guess I just want to give her hope to know that she can do it. <laughs> yeah, if but she you're, wants. you're six to nine yeah, months. Like, to it. You know, I'm like, but yeah. I kind of had. I was like, eh, it's gonna take a few months, but hey. yeah, it it did you take know? a while, and it and it was it was no picnic exactly, but you know, I've come to realize that when you do have a new baby, you really have to decide what it is you want from that relationship long-term. Do you want them in right. your bed with you? So how, how are you going to do it different with this next baby? You know, how have you changed well, your, have you modified that mm-hmm. you even do this the same? Yeah, we, like we do a lot from it. 
totally differently. I, I think my first child was a type 1, and I actually wasn't able to nurse him. I formula-fed him. And it was better, but it, we still had issues with him sleeping in our bed. And then my daughter, I nursed her completely, so she ended up in my bed all the time. So this one we actually decided to formula-feed for various reasons. And um, it's it's made a big difference because my husband can help out, and we've made it a big issue to make sure he's he's in his bed versus our bed. Right. So I it's, was never it's the still a learning process. My children slept in my bed. That never happened uh-huh. in our world. It's interesting because I do think it's more of a tendency for type 1 and type 2 moms. Type 3 and type 4 I moms, so. <laughs> I think it's a lot less common. I'm mm-hmm. very practical. That's that. very impractical in my work. Like you have mm-hmm. your own bed. You're not, All I of my, my sleep. friends who are those other types feel the same way. And, you know, they, yeah. they don't usually berate me about it, but a lot of the times, you know, I can kind of say, yeah, they're like, oh, that is not say, good. That doesn't make sense. That's not common exactly. sense because, you know, I, don't, I need my sleep. In fact, mm-hmm. when our child, children hit about 15, 16 pounds, they got uh-huh. um, put in the laundry room on the other side of the house. <laughs> and I always said, well, I don't know if they slept in, through the night, but I did. <laughs> and it was time they started to learn. So it was uh-huh. pretty, you know, it's like, okay, here we go. Because yes, I knew I, I was a better parent if I could get my sleep, and I knew they just had to work it out a few nights. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true. I think, you know, I've I tried the cry it out method with my type 1 son when he was little, oh, and it was too uncomfortable for me. I just could not no, do it. I sat there crying myself as he was crying, thinking, this is not good. I can't do this. But, you know, I've come to figure out, you know, through your program that I I really do have the power to decide what's best for them. And if I don't want to let them cry it out, but I want to find a more comfortable way for them to, you know, get to sleep or, you know, even with the what you're talking about, picky picky eaters, because my daughter's definitely particular in her, yeah. her eating habits. And a lot of what you said was really good tips, and I think I'm going to try implementing some of those. <laughs> Well, good. But, glad that helped. I appreciate yeah. you sharing your your experience oh, no of um, encouraging. Yeah, I I just wanted to give some hope because it can happen. Yeah. I've, it's been very empowering as a parent to you yeah, know like teach them to soothe their self, soothe their selves to sleep rather mm-hmm. than always having me there. And that's something we're kind of right. working on with my son that we just had a, about three months ago. But it's still a learning process. Great. I think that's what parenthood is all about. Just that's always sure. learning. Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Got open lines. If you want to call in, just um, hit dial 347-677-1963 and hit the number one on your phone. I've got um, some chat room. and Yeah, it's great. Someone's using the chat room. I'm going to read her comment. Crystal Dew says, co-sleeping can be such a blessing to little ones, but the transition needs to be gradual. With a new baby on the way, there are so many energetic changes going on. There's a lot for a child to deal with. Adding a change of sleeping location and comfort has to that is very intense. Attachment parenting is a lifestyle, and I hope it isn't spoken against on the show. It may not be as practical for threes and four moms that can be a great life if so chosen by any type you know again there's so many variables in this because a child's nature versus your nature like a type 2 mom has more orientation to be keeping these connections going for a longer term but that may not be in the best interest of their type 3 child you know I can't imagine having Anne you know I know the nature of a type 3. They they need their independence. They need their space. They need to get out. Even a baby needs to, like, be taken out of the house on a walk. It's a type 3. So there's a lot of variables that energy profiling um, introduces to consider as to what's the most supportive to your child. And I've not heard the term attachment parenting. I don't know about that. Um, I'd have to look into that to see what that means. um, So I can't speak to that. But I know with energy profiling, it presents an opportunity to say, what's my child's nature and what's in their highest good? Overriding what the parent wants. Because if parenting, if you want to be a better parent, it's all about understanding your child's nature and doing what's in their highest and greatest good, overriding your primary what's a lot of times overriding, well, what do I want? 
because a lot of us were all, you know, I come from that model. I come from the background of my parents parented me according to their nature, not considering mine at all. They didn't know mine. They didn't know who I was. And I've spent, you know, a lot of time and money finding myself. And I'm really excited to be supporting parents so that their children can grow true to who they are and not spend half of their adult life in trying to figure themselves out. That they can, you know, and I see this in my own children. I see that they are living true to who they are and they don't have to, their parents, my husband and I, are still working on finding ourselves and living true to our nature within a marriage experience that we didn't start out that way as. And I see my children who don't have that overlay. They just they get to be themselves, and I'm really grateful for that because they were parented in a way that they understand themselves and they're showing up in life true to their nature at a at a in the early part years of their adult life. Got a caller from 801. You're live on the show. Hi, um, this is Megan. Hi, Megan. Hi, um, it's kind of a change of theme, but I have a daughter who's three years old, and uh, I'm not sure what type she is, but she has all of a sudden decided she hates taking a bath. Like, How, how old is she, three? Yeah, three. And what type is she? I'm not sure. I, okay. uh um, it seems real. She's really active. Um, I can't tell though. For like, I thought she might be a three just because I know my mom's a three, and everyone says she acts just like my mom. And my other niece is a three, and she acts like that. But her facial features don't seem like that to me, so I'm not sure. Anyway. Okay. Um. So tell me what's she, going on. So before it was she didn't like it in her hair washed, but. Now, recently, it's just I get her in the bathtub, and she'll throw stuff at me. She'll just scream. I mean, horrible tantrum. And, you know, we kind of need to bathe her, and this happens, like, every time. How often are you washing her hair? um, Every other day or every three days. So it's not every time you're in the bath? No, because she doesn't really need it. No, I didn't say she doesn't need it that frequently. Can she wash her own hair? Um, I don't, I don't know. I haven't tried that. You know, have you given her the, you know, said, okay, now you're going to wash your hair. So no, I haven't doing tried that. For her, that. having her do it herself. That might be a good idea. Give her the, you know, let her do it and manage it, you know. And tell her maybe How she do- has to wash her hair twice a week. You say uh-huh. she gets which two times that is. Uh-huh. So the option is, it's not, the option is, do you want to bathe or not? It's, okay, you're going to bathe. Do you want to do it um, now or in 10 minutes? Uh-huh. <laughs> See, if your child is dry, if you have a child that's presenting that will, yeah. you need to learn how to work with the will so that they feel they've been given a choice. So that can look like, it doesn't look like, um, would you like to you take a bath, yes or no? That's not the option it's. Would you like when? to take a bath right now or in 15 minutes? Uh-huh. Now, they feel like they've been given some empowerment, you know. Okay, 15 minutes. And if she says, I don't want to take a bath, say, you have two choices. Because now? we all take baths. Mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, I'm not sure. Okay, again, this is probably just one of those power struggles that she's using that scenario to have a power struggle with you. It's not even about bathing. It's just presented itself to do it in that experience. So there's something going on that she's not feeling um, fully supported by you. Okay. And this is her red flag saying, I don't, you know, I need to be more of my own person, even though I'm only three. And so she's... she could be a type four if she just needs to be her own authority. She could be a type three because she just needs to get out more and she's just venting in different scenarios. Uh-huh. You know, there's some variables here. Not knowing her type, I, I can't zero in on why she's what it would doing be. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what's, what's she pushing up again? You know, 
she's pushing back at you, so she could be a type 3. But then, um, again, type 3 facial features in a child, the, the deep angled eyes, they're very, they're kind of like cat eyes. That's to stand. Okay. It's very strong on type 3 children. Their, ne- their nose has a little more of a lumpiness or a little more substance to it. Um, their hairline is usually a little bit irregular. They have a, a body language. In their body language, they are much more push, stomping around the house. They're louder. They have that kind of oomph about them. Does that describe her? Um, it does. And also, like, I remember when she was a baby, she made the funniest faces. Like, she had wrinkly face. She looked like kind of like a old man. <laughs> yeah, and type three little yeah. girls, unless they're dressing yeah. their truth, babies can look kind of, they're not that cute because they're pretty, yeah. they're kind of, they're a little more masculine looking. Like, Anne always puts a bow on Katie because it just, she looks cute then. <laughs> it's about yeah. she just has this yeah. type three face that's kind of like, yeah. you know, a little more intense. <laughs> But I, you know, and that that the three goes with her, and then I also see four in her too, because I'm I'm a type four, and I see that in her too. So maybe I'll just keep watching and see. I I think she's a three though, but anyway. Yeah, and that's gonna, you know, if you're putting a lot of, if you're just someone that operates by structure, she can get tired of the routine. You know, Mm -hmm. the whole. If because I imagine you'd be very routine with these things. You know, I I feel like. I feel like I am not as routine because I have another sister who's type 4 and I see the real routine. Like, I think I have a secondary 3, so I don't feel like I do the same thing every day. You know, okay. I don't have that. So I don't I don't think that's affecting her so much. But Okay. Well, try that. Like, type 3 yeah. kids are real hands-on. They're physical. They like to be involved with their hands. So if you can make it more of a fun project or something she's doing uh-huh. that she's not having you do to her. Uh-huh. She's yeah, old enough to do that. So and I let her a, go by. Yeah. I would go if hair if it's washing her hair is the biggest part of mm-hmm. it. Go yeah. to the store, have her pick out a, t- uh, a towel that's her bath towel, have her pick out her shampoo, the scent she wants. She's what I'm saying, set it up so that yeah. she's choosing these things. She's and then she's interested in using them. I know no. when I got, you know, I when I feel like I've bought something or I've invested, I feel I need to make use of it now, and and I'm more drawn to because it's what I want. Uh huh. So think, make it do that side of it. So you've you've given her some. She's been able to get involved and contribute to this and make some decisions. I can do that. Yeah, I can. Do I have another you. question if you had time. Could you answer? Let's see. Where yeah. are we? Actually, my time just ran out. But go ahead. I okay. think I'm. But it's getting recorded. But I just okay. normally didn't close the show. <laughs> go ahead. Um, How did I dream me? I wasn't paying attention. I was focused <laughs> on what you were saying. Well, that's okay with me. But anyway, um. All right. Go uh, ahead. We'll I, I have my my dad. I had a. You know, her grandpa, he's not, like, the best. I had a really hard time growing up with him, and we've been estranged for a while, but he's kind of come back into my life and her life. And I'm just wondering, I just have people in my life who really hurt me as a child. I don't know how, I don't, and I and they want to be part of my daughter's life. Well, I have two daughters. How do I, how do I keep them safe? I don't know, and that sounds maybe an odd question, but I just don't want them to experience what I experienced. Well, you're stirring, it's stirring up your issues that need to be healed, uh-huh. and that's going to be okay. the first step. And if you, I would use my healing center as a resource to, these things are getting stirred up for you, and then you're projecting on the fear for your children, but that's not going to happen because you're very conscious and we live in a whole different world. Mm-hmm. So let it, let that, Notice that it's stirring up things that need to be healed for you, and and you know I've got great resources to help with that. If you need any direction in that, you can just email support at liveyourtruth.com. They can guide you in different resources, so you clear your own issues because okay. that's going to free you up, and then you'll just be able to manage your children and your experience really consciously and be fine. 
Okay, so take care of me. <laughs> yeah. And I'll have a better definitely. perspective about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes I feel like All I right. just don't. Well, thanks for yeah. calling in. Well, thanks for taking my it. second question. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. Bye. So, I actually, uh, this is the end of the show. I'll be talking to you next week. We're excited to have another show, and thanks for listening to the recordings and for all the callers that called in today. I appreciate your commitment to parenthood and to your children. And go to thecarolblog.com to learn more about all the different um, things I offer and more support for parenting and living your truth. And we'll talk to you next week.